Thank you, oh. guys. I noticed you've supported my Insta a lot. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> we're big fans. We came and saw you at the Yarraville Club and it was... One, a phenomenal show, but two, I've never seen someone get, I don't know, encored five times and like <laughs> still, and still come out and, and have more to say. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so yeah, good. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was a really good show. So what are we talking about? So our podcast is sort of just like a comedy podcast and we upskill ourselves each week. So we'll like learn about something and get better at it. But this time we're doing like a mini series on alcohol. Yeah, because I um, got sober and so did Annie. So we're both What's sober. That? We're I, both, yeah, oh. we, yeah, we both got sober. I used to be uh, quite a drinker. <laughs> and so I got sober and people kind of lost their minds because they were like, well, how did you do this? Because, you know, you're like the biggest drinker out of everyone. So we're sort of doing this mini series about it. It's been really good. It's been really well received at the moment, but it's been very emotional. So we... Yeah. meant to be a comedy podcast and we're like at the top of the comedy charts with these episodes but like they're not funny at all because <laughs> you know we're really feeling going through the motions they're pretty depressing to be honest very depressing so we sort of <laughs> want to bring it up with a funny episode which you know we kind of deserve to do to our fans who you know want a comedy podcast so uh yeah if we if you can we just want to talk to you because obviously you're very high profile and you are very open about your story and we would love if you can you know tell us a bit about it and hopefully yeah that's it pretty much so and because I know that you say you're not a comedian you just tell stories so you are a comedian obviously but (laughs) yeah if you just tell us your stories in the funny way that you do then yeah well at least we'll you know, serve the comedy part of our comedy podcast. So, yeah. So we don't get kicked out. Yeah. We'll we'll kick all the boxes. Yeah. So your story is, although it's quite well known, there might be some people that don't really know it. Could you be able to give us a little bit of a recap? Yeah, sure. Should we get going? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Great. So I'm talking to a couple of sober cunts. That's what I call sober people. (laughs) (laughs) You you are one yourself. I know, I love it. What you say is what you are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what a ride. What an incredibly hard and it's it's amazing. To me, it always astounds me that this shocking, horrible, you know, disease, and it is a disease. Mm. There's not a human being on the planet who would put themselves through that self-loathing. Ultimately, that's what it is. You end up drowning in your own shame and I've become unrecognisable to myself, you know. And it all started out, I was just a bit loud at dinner parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, I relate. Mm. I remember my husband used to interrupt me and I'd be holding court at dinner parties up in Alice Springs. He'd interrupt me in the middle of a really good story with the truth, which I found quite annoying, you know. <laughs> Call me up on minor little details, but Fiona's actually never been to Sweden, and <laughs> Dan Morrison is not your cousin. Oh, yeah, I really hate it because my husband does that too. Oh, I'll tell my- a story, and he'll then say, "Oh, I swear!" Like every time she tells this story, that number gets bigger and bigger, or something. Yeah. And I'm like, "Why don't you shut the fuck up?" Because no one yes. came here to listen to you and talk, and your fucking sex life gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, shut the fuck you're up. diminishing your chances of getting laid. Go on, like go on. Maybe, or maybe. Tell some stories of your own and find yeah. out how boring you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you would be nowhere if it wasn't for me. <laughs> the reason you're getting invited to this fucking party yeah, is because of me. Because so of the- stay yeah. in your lane. There's a guy in Alice Springs, a, a lawyer, not a, you know, not that a lawyer necessarily know more than anyone else, but just he was our lawyer. And when I started showing off, basically, as a young mother. My first foray into the arts was uh, just a column I had in the local paper. And it really was just a minute of my domestic life. But it was just a funny column about God knows what. A domestic kind of look at the world from my domestic chaos, yeah. And this guy, Chris, my husband was having lunch in one of the clubs up there. And this guy was sitting having his kind of lunch and he looked at my husband and he said, you ought to smack your missus in the mouth. What? 
It's really extraordinary. Oh, my God. That is unbelievable. Mm. Objection. Yeah. Even then, it struck me, obviously, as so vile. and But it almost normal. It, you know, it, it didn't – I remember I kept telling people, you can't believe what he said. Ah. ah. Mm. People are funny about loud women. Yeah, they are. I would presume you guys are or uh, Katie, you're Irish? Annie. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Katie. Annie. Sorry, Doc. Yeah. Annie Nolan. Yeah. That's a pretty Irish Catholic name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean I came from kind of quite matriarchal stock, but I never really understood sexism and then with alcoholism it's really interesting when it's a woman. There was an article in, um, it was Andrew Bolt. It was, he's lovely, isn't he, Andrew yeah, Bolt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stand-up um, guy. Yeah, lovely. But he'd taken offence to something. I'd, he was having a crack at me about something I'd said on a panel, comedy panel. And, you know, the presumption of what you are by these right-wing stiffs. You know, he yeah. said, alcoholic mother of five. Oh. What the fuck? So many people are alcoholic and including men who don't, yeah. who don't have their humanity prefaced by their disease, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. That really struck me as interesting. Well, any disease, you wouldn't see. It was only recently, too, I, was, I had to pull out of a television show because I was double booked. The producers went straight to, is she drinking? Is she drinking? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, imagine if that was any other disease. But is her white cell count low again? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's the frustrating mm. thing, isn't it, about alcoholism? Because we really blame the person, not the drink. So it's sort and of. continue to do it yeah. over and over yeah. and over again through every generation. Like, as long as there is alcohol, there will always be alcoholics. Yeah. Like, why can't people see this? Like there's this, if you kind of elevate yourself, look down at the planet, for as long as alcohol has been around, there's been 10% of us who imbibe and it destroys our lives, you know? Mm. And definitely it's a, it's a disease you've got to dance with, but because it's the legal drug and everybody is on board, for the alcoholic, as soon as you're not using it correctly, you know, as it says on the bottle, drink mm. responsibly. Drink responsibly, I know. <laughs> Such an oxymoron. We're shunned like these pariahs. Yeah. And as well, and I love like- I love how they have drink responsibly on a goon cask. You've given me five litres of alcohol <laughs> and you're telling me to drink responsibly. That's hilarious. How is that drink possible? Yeah. Gamble responsibly. That's a pointless thing to write on a bottle for an alcoholic. But then it comes a point where you've got to stop being angry at everybody else and you do have to take responsibility. But the beauty of it is, that's what I was going to say, it's the only disease, the side effects of the treatment are extraordinary. There'd be no other disease that you get treated with where they say, and the side effects are you might find yourself uh, becoming more grateful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might find, you, be, you know, self becoming less judgmental. And, you know, because you really, it's a disease that... The only way out of it is to do a lot of work on yourself. So you've got to examine your life and examine yourself. And an unexamined life is a wasted life. So I still see myself as very lucky to have this disease. I mean, there's plenty, not to say I'm not going to get another disease, but I've found so much purpose. I love talking about it. I'm mad for it. So how long did you have a drinking problem for? Well, in a way, you're the first to know and you're the last to know. Yeah, yeah, I knew for a long time that I had this problem that when I started, I couldn't stop. So I didn't start a lot because I had a lot of kids and I didn't like hangovers. Of course, my hangovers were pretty ferocious because I would always be the last to leave the party and I'd easily drink 20 standard drinks. Uh, you know, the barbecue. And then the hangovers get more unbearable the older you get. So I reckon I was in my late 30s, and it's when I threw my hat in the ring of comedy, came to the Adelaide Fringe, I was 36, and that was the first time I drank on a hangover. Prior to that, even though I'd have big nights out, like I'd have a big blowout, but then I wouldn't drink for three weeks. But then all of a sudden I'm performing every night. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I had this lie, and I believed it, like I believed the sun came up this morning, you know, that I absolutely needed three standard drinks before I went on. 
and they were in the form of little vodka bottles, just mini vodkas. Well, that was that came later actually when I when I went underground, and started hiding them, but um, because I went public, and the reason I went public, <laughs> people said I was brave. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I think somebody got their hand caught in the cookie jar. <laughs> that might be more the truth of the story. <laughs> and it was in Queensland. I was in Brisbane. My sister still calls this the incident. It was the beginning of a fifteen-year battle. So what happened was I did a show on. I think it was a Thursday night, and just at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre seats. I don't know, 500 people. So did a show that went swimmingly on Thursday night, then met up with friends after the show, and it was on, let's party. And all of a sudden, the sun had come up, and I knew I had to show that night, and I was kind of like, oh, God, I've buggered up all my levels, you know, and I think I must have just topped up during the day. Then by the time I went to do the show on the Friday night, I went on stage so loaded that I passed out on stage. in front What? Oh, why do I laugh when I say that? You're so lucky you're unconscious, though, because that would have been the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, that's fuck. Oh my god. I mean, obviously it's bad for your health, but also yeah, not great for reviews either. I'm sure. Oh, just so embarrassing. The most horrifying thing and shameful. I was taken by ambulance from the stage. I never got up again, and all of a sudden there's 450 people just staring at this very sad thing on stage. I woke up in the Brisbane hospital, and this is what stuns people, and it still stuns me. I had an alcohol reading of 0.44. What? Mm-hmm. How, how can you even live through that? Yeah. That's how high my tolerance yeah. was. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Alcohol is like any drug. You need more and more of it to get the same effect. And I thought, oh, God oh, this is it, I'm busted, because I hadn't been public about it. And I woke up in the Queensland hospital on Saturday morning, having no idea where I was. And I I remember thinking, I don't remember buying a nightie that does up at the back. (laughs) (laughs) So impractical for my own self. Why would I buy that? (laughs) (laughs) And then it dawned on me, I'm in a bloody hospital. And my manager was there. And I'm like, what's he doing here? Andrew Taylor, yeah. And... (laughs) Anyway, you know when you've, you'd know it on a more normal scale, but when you've had a big night, there's always something, especially with mothers, there's something important you've got to do. Yeah. And I'm in this bloody hospital bed going, oh, what is it? There's something huge looming over me. I'm like, oh, so this is on Saturday. I'm like, oh, I'm on dancing with the stars tomorrow night. What was that? You're a what? I was on the first episode of Dancing with the Stars. And that's the one thing they say about alcoholics, our timing is impeccable. We always pick the worst day to screw up. I'd been in training for Dancing with the Stars for weeks. I'd been, you know, certainly not drinking. Anyway, I I went public because the network and... I think my management, yeah, they were saying, well, we're going to put a statement out to the press saying she's exhausted, you know, when they roll with that. Yep. Yeah. All from celebrities she's tend burnt to get out. exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I read burnt out or exhausted, I'm thinking, oh, I yeah. think I'm... <laughs> I just couldn't do it mm. because that would haunt me, 450 people who knew the difference between an exhausted person yeah. and a <laughs> witnesses this time yeah so what happened was then I um went public and said I'm an alcoholic and I thought that that would fix everything Mm -hmm. I had no idea I was about to start a nightmare that I didn't come out of for 15 years you know and that was searching 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 for and obviously the only answer at that stage of alcoholism is to quit it you've got to give it away but I had this problem which seemed to me insurmountable, and now it just defies logic, you know. But I was like, well, I'll just ha- I'll always still have that those three standard drinks before I go on. Otherwise, you know, I believe that the show would be 20% as good without the vodka. Right, yeah. So, and I'm still yet to work out, and I don't even know if I'll be bothered, can be bothered working it out, but whether that's a lie, the disease is so cunning and so baffling. 
and so powerful and it, cha- it changes shape. It's like wrestling jelly, you know. See, the problem was then for the next 15 years, I lied and would hide those little bottles of vodka in my bras, but the sourcing of them, you know, was exhausting. Yeah. Because I've told the whole world I'm sober and I'm not. Well, I am. I am, except for this little secret, deep, dark secret I've got. But my knowledge was so fucking slim. If I'd done a bit more research, I would have known that that would never, ever, ever work. Every time I put those little vodkas in me, before every gig, I'm putting a lit flame next to a stick of dynamite every time because I've, I've put it in me so my body screams for it like mother's milk, you know. But I'd white knuckle it and just push through and get home and all would be well till the next gig. That, that's what happened nine times out of ten. One time out of ten, it led me to another big bus which meant cancelling gigs, flights, you know, nightmare. Just a nightmare. You're right, it's bitch. I was alcohol's bitch. Big <laughs> time, <laughs> yeah. And if alcohol had a personality, you know, it would have, I can see the moments it would have gone, oh, we've got her now. Yeah. And it comes for everything you've got. I know this sounds really fucking dramatic, but it does. It comes for, you know, it comes after your relationships, you know, I lost my marriage from it. Um, and basically that was, woke up after a bloody blinder and I was in blackout and the worst had happened. You know, I woke up with a stranger in my bed. Yeah. So, that, that, so that's the end. You know, all these things happened that only compound your shame and your grief and, and you put them in this kind of pocket in your soul and it's just like, well, I'll, I'll drink on that later and I'll drink on that later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yep. time. and then it's the vicious and, cycle because you drink on that and then you make another bad decision, which means exactly. you drink on that and then you... Yes, yeah. and yeah. I think the most dangerous thing for me was the drinking on it. After that shameful experience of waking up with a... Uh, you know, I'm I'm married. I had five children. What the fuck? Who am I? You yeah. know, it's just ghastly. And then you're just lugging around this. Literally, it'd be like lugging around a broken leg, but you're lugging around a broken heart. And every now and then, you just want to put the pain aside. Just give me three hours relief, and you crumble. You find yourself in a bottle shop, and it all seems to be a really good idea. And don't forget. Alcoholism also, like, there's a, there's a voice in your brain and it's yeah. a powerful, strong voice yeah. and it, yeah, it wants you bad. That That's just pisses problem. off. Yeah. It really kills you and left you in a coma. It just fucks <laughs> off. Yeah. It's, it used to be really annoying because I would wholeheartedly not want to drink and I would be like, yep, tonight when I get home, I'm not going to have a drink, I'm not going to have a drink. And then that fucking little voice on the way home, it would just be like, oh, yep. a glass of wine might be nice and I would give into it and then that one glass of wine would never just be one glass of wine and then I'd wake up the next day with no memory, I don't know what's happened and I would get so angry at myself. How how did you let that happen? You've got to be more strong-willed but I failed to realise that it was the substance. Like I didn't realise, oh, you know, alcohol has a hold on me. I always thought that yeah. I was really weak and that I had no control but which I mean in some cases is true but I didn't realize that I was like yeah dancing with the devil and that this is an addictive substance yeah and then what's extraordinary about it is because you obviously hear everything I say it's like we see the same thing we know what color this is very hard to explain it to a civilian who likes a drink it's not the be all end all like alcohol to most people is like cheesecake yeah you know it's great but I don't dream about it. <laughs> have to have it. And it doesn't make you do stupid things. Like you were saying, you woke up with a stranger. I personally would not cheat on my husband and I haven't, but it worried me that I would in a blackout genuinely had that fear because I'm like who knows what drunk Bianca is capable of like I don't know and it used to actually like freak me out that I could do that in that state and you know like that not knowing what I was going to do while I was drunk was something that really worried me and I used to stress out that I was going to lose my boyfriend or my husband because I was Mm -hmm. like it's just inevitable that I'll probably cheat on him one night while I'm out and I'm drunk that literally used to be a fear of mine yeah it's madness isn't it and we do cop the consequences that's you know if you get in a car drunk and you kill someone you go to jail and alcoholics cop that as they should we still live in a world where there's rules and structure and like I copped that I mean obviously my marriage wasn't a healthy marriage but it's like once you've once the other party has the infidelity card you can't 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm sure it wasn't a romantic night. Yeah. And very frightening, actually. Very, very frightening. Like, terrifying. People take it so personally. The people who are close to you, they take an alcoholic's behaviours, you know, and they'll listen to you, your family. You did this, you said this, you did that. It's like, well, that's addict noise. I'm not... It's not like I never could or would take responsibility, but, God, if they only knew... Any anger they have, you have it five million times more towards yourself. Do you find as well, I guess people probably ask you, you know, do you miss it? But when I think about missing it, I just think I have no gaps in my memory anymore. I don't wake up in shame. I don't have this overwhelming guilt in myself anymore. That's what I think of when I think about alcohol now. I don't think about popping a bottle of bubbly and let everyone having a glass of like a mimosa with brunch. I don't think about the fun time. I just go straight to the negative part and not having that in my life. Do you feel find the same way? I only ever feel that nostalgia because I come from a big country farming family, big drinking social life. And that used to be my role in our family. You know, I'm one of seven. Everyone finds their role in a family. I, I love, I've done a lot of, the amount of time I've spent in rehab, <laughs> I've almost become a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the psychology of it. I absolutely love it. But my role was definitely the life of the party. That was, I started that when I was a kid. Things were not always great and farmers' kids and the stress and my self-appointed role was to make everybody laugh and sometimes still because that all still exists this beautiful family I've got they're still there and everyone gets together and there's just sometimes I miss what could have been had I not been an alcoholic just the beginning of the night I, I used to love that the beginning of your mum's 50th or your brother's 21st or but then again, it never ended well, ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you ever feel now, do you still carry shame and feel like you're catching up for the years that you were an alcoholic? Do you feel like you owe it to the people around you still or have you been able to move past that? No, it takes a long time but you can't do it all at once. You know, I'm still unpacking. <laughs> yeah. And it's my kids that come first because I've got people squawking for their apologies, you know. <laughs> In my, I'm like, wait your turn. Yeah, exactly. I will get to you when I'm good and ready. I will get to you. Yeah. But my, um, <laughs> you're not a priority. My men's list is very, very long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to apologise. people in Brisbane to deal with before yeah. I deal with you. Oh, no. Apparently I did rise like Lazarus that night and tell a boy in the front row to go fuck himself. So that's <laughs> interesting. Oh, so he's the top of the It's not even who I am. Like I don't even do that when I'm – that's not my comedy. What an idiot. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. One of the biggest things for me – giving up alcohol so Bianca really wrestled with the addiction and I gave up drinking sort of in solidarity to her as her best friend but then I very soon realized that I too must have had a problem Ah, (laughs) you're doing well Bianca you can do this yeah yeah so my main thing was my mental health improved out of sight I did not realize that drinking a depressant was going to make me depressed Mm. (laughs) and I have heard you speak a little bit on other podcasts and things about what it did to your mental health. Has your mental health got better? Like, what did you go through when you drank? Oh, my mental health has never been better than it is right now. You've got to be gentle with yourself. You do that much damage over that amount of time. It didn't turn around overnight. But as one of you said before, the mornings, I just love the mornings. Waking up and there's... You don't have to go, oh, God, what? Yeah. <laughs> like what did I say? It's so weird being present for your entire life. There's yeah. no gaps from Monday through to Sunday. I'm present for all of it. I know everything that happened. That's really weird for me now. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of too thrilled with life at the moment to because part of me thinks, God, you should be pretty sad about losing what essentially was 15 years of your life. I'd love to be sad with you, but I'm just too happy. So, mm. sorry. Oh, that's um, because I know that had I not been an alcoholic, I still would have been that person who quite liked that scene. And I think it serves me so much better to be sober because my ego was all over the shop. And it all came from insecurity, I guess. But 
I think I would have quite liked being out and about and seen long lunches and I'm a show off, you know. You know, once upon a time, I think, because I'm the only alcoholic out of my seven siblings, or six siblings, and I used to say I drew the short straw because it's very rampant, you know, on both sides. But now I definitely believe I drew the perfect straw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Because you've got to learn how to be present and you've got to learn all sorts of things I never would have been bothered with, like mindfulness and I'm good at meditating and I'm not out there annoying people. I'm just busy, you know, I'm living my own. <laughs> I'm not misbehaving much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Being on stage for me has been extraordinary and it's only been a couple of years. So, oh God, and relapsing on knowledge is the worst. Have either of you relapsed? No. I don't. No, I have no intention. It is a hell. Yeah. Because I have, and I went back for thirds, you know, and <laughs> and when you have knowledge, it's really interesting. You've got to drink more to dull down the knowledge when you bust, and for whatever reason that you bust. And I've I've actually understood now when I go back over the busts and you know, try and learn from every one of them, and I'm like, well, what was happening? What didn't you learn? And it's very clear. I'm about to say it's very clear now. Completely forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> it's very clear. I think, I think I just had a small stroke. <laughs> oh, and you heard it here no, first, right. folks. Fiona that, Lachlan's first stroke. Right. So, I think she must be um, back on the source. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're breaking it on our podcast. Yeah. Tell the Daily Mail. <laughs> yeah. So you drink so much to shut the noise down of the knowledge that. There's no moment of going, oh, you know that one moment? I remember I used to at least get that before I got knowledge, which I got at rehab and through all the work I've done. And at least once upon a time prior to knowledge, you'd have that first drink on a, you know, when you, when you bath and you get that moment of, hello, everything's better now. You don't even get that with knowledge. And as well, the next day when you come to, it hurts five times as much because you knew that you shouldn't have gone down that path to begin with. Because I feel like when you don't care and you're just drinking and you don't care and you're like, oh, this is great, like a hangover is bad, but, yeah, it's just the physical side of it. But when you know that, oh, this is a problem and you keep Mm. getting lured into it, that's when it hurts the most and you're like, fuck, I can't believe I did this again. And yet the hardest thing, and I I tried to do it in my show, Gap Year, the one you guys saw, Mm -hmm. and I I still haven't nailed it, though. It's this inability to articulate what it feels like to be drinking against your will. And, you know, other alcoholics get it immediately, but it's very hard to get this out there, this message of what what we're going through. Yeah. Mm. Because it is and against your will. I guess if you're not an alcoholic, you'd be listening to this and go, well, just shut up and don't yeah. drink, you idiot. I know. You know? <laughs> I know. I know. It's like when people say to, like, a depressed person, like, just don't be sad. It's yeah. like, oh I, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, Thanks. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for your sage advice and <laughs> wisdom. You know, my husband once, I was having an anaphylactic reaction <laughs> to, we'd just been in a canola crop, and he said to me, oh, it's just all in your mind. If you don't think about it, it won't happen. Yeah. I was like, Oh, yeah. he solved yeah, allergies, has like, he? <laughs> well done. Wow, yeah, no well done. <laughs> I had a cousin say to me, um, and this guy's a genius, you know, in his own profession, and he's like, listen to what it is, and then he said to me, but so long as no, you don't ever let anyone tell you you can't have a nice red when it suits you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but that's you see, that's common. the, that, the that, whole that, crux. Yeah. yeah. And you know what exactly. else really annoys me is that now that I'm sober, people will say to me, hey, like, have you found a really good, like, I'm looking for a good non-alcoholic wine. Like, I can't find any good reds. And I'm like, girl, like, I was drinking casks of goon. Like, I don't <laughs> no, have, exactly. I don't have a refined palate for wine. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was never the taste that I was addicted to. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. No. I'm I, not in the shop pairing what flavours this wine would go with a nice meal. I'm not, do- the, the food wasn't what I wanted. I didn't care about these pairings. Exactly. I don't care about the fucking fine notes. Like, I would go to a winery to get plastic 
bastard not to taste <laughs> the hints of blueberry. Not and to spit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. Do you know I was at a winery? This is how fucking clueless I was. And they had the spittoon there. And I just started throwing, like, because I had was serving olives and I was putting the pits in the olive thing. And I was like, that's, <laughs> and I said, that's quite a large olive pit jug. I was like, why do they have that for the olive pits? It's massive. And one of the guys was like, that's a spittoon. You meant to spit the wine out. And I was like, well, that defeats the purpose. I'm not going to. I didn't know you were meant to spit it out. I never understood that. What are you spitting it out? Yeah, I was like, well, if you're not going to drink it, spit it into my mouth. What are you doing? But yeah, I I didn't care about the taste of the wine, and it kind of it makes me laugh. I think when people act like they know it all. I I know boutique wine or boutique beer, and I'm like, I never gave a shit about that. To be honest, I didn't care what it was. I would drink three dollar bottle of wine, not give a fuck. I wanted to get drunk. I didn't care about the flavor. The only flavours I ever cared about was those little Smirnoff flavoured ones. Oh, little bit, cruiser. When I was a bit cashed up. Yeah. Oh, I, I like to see. I'd have flavor a, in my vodka. A pineapple cruiser was sort of my hangover yeah. cure. Like that's a good breakfast, you know. I'll have like a bloody Mary and a side of a pineapple cruiser. That's my five fruit Wash and veggies, you know. Yeah, and that's how I drink it's, a cruiser. It's interesting too. Do you when you see other people drinking? I'm obsessed with their. Yeah, you know, I watch someone with a glass of wine, and they don't seem to be that interested in it. And you're just like, yeah. well, then they'll leave some. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Finish it. Yeah, I used to find it weird when, like, I'd go to say like a sporting event or something, and people are watching the sport, but during the quarters, I'm just like, well, I'm going to go to the bar now before it gets busy at quarter time, and people would be like, oh no, no, you're going to miss the game. I'm like, I'm not here to watch a game. I'm, I'm here because we're allowed to drink during the day. I don't know why you're, <laughs> why are you care, yeah, why are you caring about the sport? What are you? talking about you know like i i just found it weird that people would prioritize anything above drinking yeah same i think like everything's being talked about more we live in a world and it's great i'm such an optimist and futurist the thing people do i have an alcoholic uncle and i was i remember as a kid just staring at him and someone said i overheard the grown-up saying the doctor says if he has one more drink it could kill him and I was watching him drink a beer. And I'm like, is this a beer that's going to kill him? You know. But now that I know what it is, and he never found sobriety. He was my godfather. And I have nothing but sadness when I think about him, that he never knew what we're talking about. Because mm. yeah. we know what that is. It's like you're living in a fog behind a wall of denial. And to it's live so that sad. life. A 99 out of 10. You know, of those, I think my stats are right. See, of 10% of drinkers that have a problem, which they do, 10% of all drinkers will be one of us, only 10% of those at the moment are finding sobriety. So there's an awful lot of people dying. Yeah, I know. It's, it's fucked up. How close were you to being one of those in that statistic? Well, the doctors at the Royal... Uh, what is that? Albert? Oh, I can't remember. Alfred? The Alfred. The Alfred. The Alfred. The Alfred. Yeah. They said it was catastrophic. And not to expect that I would live the night, yeah. So, I, and then I think one of my kids asked for stats, and it was about I, I could be wrong, but it was thirteen percent that I would live, uh, but only seven percent that I'd be okay. Yeah, up against it, and it's I, I'm still not over the gratitude of that. Not just living, but anything could have happened, you know, to my organs or my limbs. Seriously dangerous. What was your lowest so, point, or did you have? Oh, a rock probably bottom? the coma. Yeah, probably. Oh uh, well, I'd been so alone for so long, you know, um, emotionally alone for years. And after I got out of, because I was transferred to the Austin when I started looking like I might make it, and then I went to Albert Road Clinic for a couple of months after that because it really looked like a suicide attempt. I mean, all roads pointed to that, and I was kind of really shocked. I'm like, why are they? saying I attempted suicide, I did not attempt suicide. And then I realised, well, Fiona, you're hardly a reliable witness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was that time when I was in Albert Road Clinic, which is a private clinic for all sorts of mental health issues, and this beautiful doctor, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, have you eaten? It was about the second day that I'd been admitted. And he said, have you eaten? And it was just that simple question and care that I realised I hadn't been asked anything that kind for years. And I started crying and I didn't stop for three weeks. Oh, my gosh. God. I could not stop crying. 
because I was still lost. You know, I was talking about the nonsense of the passing out in front of 450 people. Well, now I've nearly killed myself in a coma. And then when I got out of the coma, I drank again. In fact, it was worse. Um, that was the first time I ended up homeless in Adelaide. And there was people that I knew, obviously, I've got brothers and sisters that love me and friends and family, but I couldn't let anyone see me in that state. For years, I'd always been able to muster up starting again, dusting myself off and starting again. And this time I couldn't. And so I, I literally became what you see out there, you know, well, the drunken, you know, it, it looked obvious to anyone who'd look at, you know, I looked like a drunk, I guess, mm. uh, because I was one. <laughs> Weren't you living in a cupboard pretending to be an was... author? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that? Oh, I'm just writing my, writing my novel again. <laughs> I did end up, it wasn't a cupboard, it was like, a, it was the tiniest bedroom you've ever seen. <laughs> I had this beautiful friend helping me and, oh God, she was just, Beautiful. She lived next door to this, or she lived behind this kind of, what essentially a drug den, I guess, I was living in. I was pretty unaware of how dangerous my situation was. I didn't care. I really didn't care about much at all. But this woman in the suburb I was staying in, and she kind of noticed I was in this house. You know, the angels that are out there. And she came over every day and fed me sausages. Because I had, yeah, I didn't eat for four months. That whole time I couldn't eat. I was on sausage. And yeah, we're friends to this day. In fact, she manages me. Oh. <laughs> is that, is Sue? that Sue? That's Sue. Oh, my, oh my gosh. God. What an angel. And there's a magnificent backstory there that I'm writing about in my next book. Oh, I can't wait yeah. to read it. Don't tell us. We've got to do a teaser. Yeah. For, we'll, so we'll people buy you. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. it's an unbelievable story. It's like, wow, this story is crazy. And yeah, um, yeah so we're now because we've got. I do have a bigger purpose than I'm feeling at the moment. I don't I can't say everything I want to say mm. via stand up anymore. I love stand up, and I'll always do it. But the more I talk about addiction, the more I'm immersed in it. The safer I am, I just know it's where I'm supposed to be. You know, and this thing people don't realise either. There's a tenacity to us sober cunts. Um, that once we find recovery, we're not just who we were and not drinking anymore. We're better people mm-hmm. and we're very worthwhile. Yeah, I know. I will say that I have become addicted to talking about addiction. <laughs> That's my yeah. yeah, it's really become an issue for me and I can hear people tuning out and I'm like, I don't care, I'm going to keep going and I can't stop. Well, it's because you know there are other people that – will need to hear it. And like Fiona yeah. was saying earlier about her poor, was it uncle? Uh, that, you know, as an alcoholic in a time where people didn't talk about mm. it and needed it. Mm. Well, now you feel like you owe it to people. It's the least you can do. Exactly. Because you, you were once there. Mm-hmm. And if only someone had told you the things that, that sometimes there's just little light bulb moments yeah. that do mean the change for people. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. There's seeds that are planted, just little seeds that, People even accidentally give you, you don't even know that you're absorbing something. Mm. I wonder though whether it should be, whether, I mean, obviously there's way more to be done, but it, to me, it, I think that there should be a seed sown with kids before they start drinking. Um, because alcohol is the gateway drug. It's the gateway drug yeah. to everything, and it is a fucking drug. Yeah, I know. I know because so, people say that weed's the gateway drug, but it's like, no, alcohol is definitely the gateway drug because usually your parents will buy it for you. Everyone's drinking yeah. it. You know, it, you know, not everyone will try marijuana, but you can pretty much guarantee that almost everyone is going to have a drink before you know, exactly. they're before before they're even of the legal drinking age. You know, mm. and I ended up a full blown addict. You know, I was taking. Yeah, how's the madness of this? I was before the coma. I wonder why. I wonder how I ended up in a coma. Before the coma, my madness was okay. I just need to be able to disappear from all this pain and worry and fear and guilt and shame just once a day via something, and so it'd be dope one day, booze the next day, mm. cocaine. Oh, yes, yeah, that's cheap, isn't it? And um, <laughs> makes right. you sneeze. <laughs> and way too high. Because <laughs> you need that for your ego. 
But, you know, I don't know why it's not spoken about, you know, in schools. Maybe I should go give talks in schools. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you don't want to tell the seven-year-old in the front row. You're all going to go out. You're all going to try alcohol. Everybody's going to do it. One of you is going to be the last one to leave the party every time. One of you is going to get the reputation. One of you, or maybe two of you in a classroom, these are the things, this is how it starts. You know, just plant that seed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say to someone that is an alcoholic right now that might be listening to this? Yeah, I think the most the most important thing is to know that if you're ready to stop, the joy of it is we need you, you know? Mm. Because now I know, and it's so helpful with your mental health, I know that as far down the scale as I went and I was pretty spectacularly shocking. It was really disgraceful the way I lived when I was homeless in Adelaide. But that and other things will actually be a, they're tools that you can then pass on to the next person. See, I now could pretty much sit with anyone and go, because you think you're the only person in the world who's behaved so abominably. And yet what all our collective stories together create a better and clearer kind of What's the word? Narrative? Like a narrative, yeah. yeah. Mm. We're all just busy being singled out and pointed at and shamed, but th- there's no point in that because there's going to be more come after us. Yeah. Just think about the people that come after you. Yeah. You want to be on that side and help pull them up. The more of us that come over this side and go, come on, we'll help you too. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I felt so alone. I thought I really was the only one in my friendship group who would wake up feeling like shit the next day and like having really depressive episodes or the only one that would do really bad things and they were drunk. And then when I started looking into sobriety and other people felt the exact same way, I thought, okay, so it's not just me. I'm not crazy. And other people have gotten over this, so I can too. I think it's yeah. so important that we talk about it because you're right. You do feel so alone and you do feel like you're the only one and there's no one else that's ever felt that way, but it's so common. Yeah. I get really sad when people say, oh, you don't need to hear my story. I'm like, yes, I do need to hear your story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody's story is valid. And it's good because all- it makes you feel less shit as well. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Hey, let's all get <laughs> together and sue Carlton Brewery. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surely I can sue somebody for the damage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know, Fiona, that Bianca and I have each other's faces tattooed on our arms? So mm. I've got a picture of Bianca tattooed on my arm and she has a picture of me on hers. Mm-hmm. And in the one on my arm, she's wearing VB earrings. So I have the oh. VB. I know. Yeah. And at that time I hadn't even tried VB. Mm. I'd never even tasted VB. But I have the freaking logo tattooed on my arm twice mm-hmm. twice because she's <laughs> wearing earrings yeah. fucking hell Bianca <laughs> I would like to you point out you have to be best friends forever yeah, I know <laughs> I know no well the thing is my husband's the tattoo artist so if Annie and I have a fight I'll just get him to like change her face like droodle like a little moustache on her and give her like a little eye patch and a scar well, I'm going to come see your husband because I do want a tattoo before I die oh well he'll hook you up Whatever you want. And I wanted something recovery-based. Yeah, he gave me a sobriety tattoo. Do you guys listen to Russell Brand much? Uh, Um, Yeah, a little bit. bit. I mean, I used to always do. I tune into something like that every day. Our alcoholic mind will wander, you know. And the other thing I've learned now is that if I even allow myself to start having the argument with the alcoholic in my head, Mm -hmm. you don't even want to have the argument because it will always win. Yeah. Before you know it. And do you, did you find when you decided to have a drink, you already felt a bit drunk? Yeah. It was almost like I would pre-anticipate the feeling before mm. I'd even get to the bar. Like I could feel like my body itching for it. And then, yes. yeah, I would yeah. I would get like high on the thought of it. This is like adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Because I never thought I had a problem because I wouldn't drink on school nights, right? But I only worked like three nights a week. So I would be fine on like the days that I had work the next day. But it was like on the halfway through that last day of work, I would already like my body would be gearing ready to go and I would have to get that drink like as soon, as soon, as soon as I finished. And that half day was agony. Because I literally, my body was like itching for it. And then I kind of thought, well, no, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink every day. Or, you know, there's always, all right, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink in the mornings. But then you get through 
you know, you you bust one of those myths broken and then you just come up with another reason as to why you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Cause I, I people always used to say, like, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink alone. And I was like, Well, I do drink alone, but that I'm still an alcoholic. Or, you know, oh, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink in the morning. I'm like, I love drinking in the morning. So well, I still was like, no, 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 I'm not an alcoholic. But there were so many other people's levels of what an alcoholic is that I had already busted through so early in my life that I thought, no, but I'm still not. I'm still not. But yeah. It's the yet. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. I haven't passed out on a stage in front of 450 people yet. <laughs> It was explained to me that notion of when you've had the thought of a drink. If I have the argument, if I have the argument and it wins, the horse has bolted before you've even had the drink because it goes to those receptors in your brain, the pleasure center, and they just go, right, we're on. So there's no stopping it then. I always think about it. Of course, people react differently to alcohol, just like we acknowledge that if we all passed a joint of marijuana around, one mm. person might green out, one person might hallucinate, one person might get paranoid, and one person and might one just feel just really giggles. happy. Yeah, no one laughs a lot. <laughs> and then, but then when we look at alcohol, people just can't see that people can react no, differently to it. No, but I think that it. people do think people have very specific types of alcoholics that they like. So they like the fun ones, they don't like the cry ones, and they don't like the angry ones, right? Yeah, the aggressive Yeah, they don't, oh no, like if you're aggressive, you just can't drink. Or like, oh, there's always one girl crying at a party sort of thing. The thing that I find really interesting when it comes to drinking is that we love the person that can drink the most. We love the person that can do shots all night and then back it up the next day. Mm. But then when that person is like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, all of a sudden they're shunned and we're like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And the problem yeah. was for you is that you were the fun one. Like Fiona was saying, she was the life of the party and mm. stuff. And probably me, the pair of us. I mean, right, we were my there. Yeah, we no would, worries. We would entertain <laughs> yeah. people. And yeah. so when both of us said we were giving up drinking, they're like, oh, yeah, but not for my birthday. Yeah. Yeah, but one more occasion, yeah, please. Yeah, not for my birthday. It's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I had to keep it a secret because I had a friend's hen's day coming up. And I was so afraid that she would lose it at me for not drinking. So I just didn't tell anyone. And I thought as soon as her hen's party's over, I'll let everyone know. But I kept it quiet. And I and then at that hen's party, I was so stressed because I had bought non-alcoholic wine. So it would look like I was drinking. And I was just like, I'm going to have the pretense that I'm drinking and like just pour my drinks in the laundry so no one can see. Sort of like yeah. I would do when I used to drink and it's not want to tell anyone. exactly what you were doing when, you, yeah. when you're hiding, your <laughs> hiding the alcohol from people and, you know, drinking in a sippy cup so no one could see what I was drinking. But, you know, I was keeping it a secret and hiding that. And it was more stressful for me being a sober person just because I was trying to keep this pretense of being sober. And I thought, how ridiculous that we've got to hide this. And, and the weirdest thing is, is that those people that begged you to keep on drinking are also the problem, people that knew you had a problem. Mm. Now that you've sort of proven that you're still fun or whatever, it's okay. Mm. But initially they didn't want that to happen. They're yeah. like, oh, I sort of still want you to suffer a little bit because I get so much enjoyment out of it. Yes, yes. It's extraordinary. And particularly when you're talking life and death, which ultimately you are, there's only three endings. It's death, jail or institution. Mm. Take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> your three options. <laughs> yeah. I tried all three, of course. I don't remember. The jail, I think, was just a brief. I think I got a bit lippy on a virgin flight once. Oh, uh, my very God. hazy. <laughs> <laughs> People are quick to blame, you know, families that love you and don't understand, they tend to look for causes, you know, and with my family, it was your comedy, you know, my brothers and sisters, a lot of them thought that comedy was the enemy and if I just got out of comedy, it's just like, no, it's just the alcohol. <laughs> it's an extraordinary thing, this disease, when you, and I've been pretty open about it because I enjoy talking about it, but you still... And, and there's six or one, half a dozen of the other. Um, no, that's the wrong saying. It's swings and roundabouts. <laughs> <laughs> but I find it would be nice if somebody who, you know, like a sibling or a, to just say, how are you? Mm. It's, it's, it's still such a shameful thing to be alcoholic. We just won't talk about it. But an alcoholic in recovery it's still an alcoholic, you know. We're still sick. Mm. There's something wrong with your thinking, you know. We're a bit skewed in the head. But we're fine. We've learned how to be sober. 
but you can ask about it, you know? It's not contagious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not going to catch, you're not Ben Lee, you're not catching my disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say with comedy, Fiona, were you worried that maybe you needed to drink for comedy? Like I know that you said you had to drink for, you know, going on stage, but did you find that it would your uh, material would dry up? Uh, yeah, definitely. I felt it had such a hold in me and I believed I gave it far too much credit, you know. I believed it was 90% responsible for how fun I could be, professionally or privately. It was definitely, it was a solution. Alcohol initially was my solution and what a solution it was. And and it, you know, worked for a long time. But do do you feel now that obviously, you know, you've done your gap year show and obviously you're, you're still very funny and you're very successful. Do you find real empowerment in acknowledging that you're funny because you're funny and that it wasn't the alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it was. It was the most beautiful discovery, and it, it was probably the most exciting time in my life when I realised I could perform sober. Yeah. And it's just like any other gig. I would be terrified to have a drink before a gig now because I'd be. So, I mean, it, it, the whole thing's the exact opposite of what I thought it was. It was actually. You know, the whole point of it is to lessen your anxiety. Well, that's bullshit. It doesn't really work. You're still anxious. You know, you just be pissed. Mm. And you've got more reason to be anxious. You know, I used to, because my shows, often I go from one story that leads me to another story that leads me to another story. And I've still got to find my way back. And, you know, I can do that easily now. But when I was, <laughs> I was like, Hansel and Gretel, I forgot to leave breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be on stage <laughs> five stories in from the original story and I've got no fucking clue how to find my way home. Uh, so I just pretended that I was an alcoholic and I passed out. <laughs> yeah, that's the real topper of the show. You know, I still uh, laugh at one of the stories you told in your Gap Year show about how you went and got that dress from the op shop and then you went to the um, house and it was the chemist outfit. Yeah, I went to the pharmacist. I think place. of that all the time and I just I think they must have. Been. I, blacked, I blacked that out of my memory for years because <laughs> it was so mortifying. <laughs> yeah. My sister Kate, who's the most hilarious girl on earth, we were having champagne years ago at her place and telling embarrassing stories. And this one came back to life. I'm like, I think I've got one. And then I told her, she rang me a week later and she said, I can't stop laughing about the camera shop uniform. Yeah. And then she said, is it in your show? <laughs> oh, well, it is now. Yeah, it's honestly yeah, it's so good. I've shopped the same way now. Yeah, I just think, <laughs> Be yeah. very careful. Yeah, you don't know who's worn that or where it comes from. <laughs> Genuine fear for me now, yeah. <laughs> just, oh. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> so good. She was funny. She's, uh, she lives in a, town, a big town uh, about three hours out of Adelaide and I was staying with her before my, my kids said to me, you stop talking about your life in such dramatic terms. I'm always saying, was that after the coma or before the jungle? Or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so life's in all these compartments. <laughs> but it was post-coma, pre-rehab, pre-jungle, and I was staying at Kate's house and I need to go to the pharmacy and Kate said, oh, go to this one, I'll drop you at this one. There's a girl in there, she's a huge fan of yours. She'd love that. Anyway, it was a really hot summer day and I borrowed one of her kids' dresses. And I, I didn't know, one of those you know, dresses that are just so light you can't feel a thing. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know, that one whole breast was just exposed. <laughs> like, it was a whole to neck and I just <laughs> fucked it up. And I walked into the chemist. Just, just large as life with just one breast just right there. This girl and, loves me. <laughs> yeah. And this lovely girl, she said... She did. She said, I'm such a big fan. She said, do you mind signing this or whatever? Oh, that's right. No, she wanted to have a selfie. <laughs> and she she had to tell me about my boob. And she said, sorry, you're um, – and I looked down, there's just a boob. Just, 
And I went, oh, sorry. And I pulled that across and we had the photo. And I went back out to the car and I said to Kate, oh, yeah, she was lovely. I said, God, I'm an idiot. I walked in there with one boob out. And Kate just looked at me and she said, what? I said, yeah, this was this way. And I showed her what it was like. And she went, that just happened to you then? And I said, yeah. And she said, I would be in a ball if that had just happened to me. And I said, well, Kate. Katie, that was going to put me in a ball. I'd never get anything done. Exactly. <laughs> that was like the most mild. That's that's nothing. Yeah, that was a small. That was just a Tuesday morning uh, for me. Yeah, we had that's a wedding. A, that's um, a small island off Tahiti in the map of my humiliation. <laughs> we had a wedding um, two weeks ago. I, I was in the bridal party, and the bride married a Greek guy. And so they did that dance, you know, where you all link oh, yeah. arms and you jump around. <laughs> and one of the bridesmaids, I was a bridesmaid, and one of the other bridesmaids' boob actually fell out as they were doing the jig around. Mm-hmm. And she didn't. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't realise and she was so excited and I didn't know how to, I was like, oh, and they were quite conservative Greek Mm. people and her tit was just flopping It's like when Tara Reid was on the red carpet posing with her tit out and didn't know. Yeah, just a little titty. (laughs) so So funny yeah okay so well okay tits out and wearing the wrong dress at a pharmacy i think you should just avoid the pharmacy in general what will happen today i haven't left the house yeah (laughs) yeah so good well i have to run off to work now Um, fiona thank you so much beautiful thank Thank you so much and we will plug your podcast which is coming out soon which we're really excited about Yeah. yeah yeah what's it called uh, I don't know yet. I haven't got a name oh, for it. Oh, oh. So excited about it. <laughs> okay, well, Fiona has a podcast coming out soon. Uh, we will plug it for you. When I think it's just uh, called Fiona. Oh, it's just okay, called cool. Fiona, yeah. When you're so big that you can just have yeah, the one name. Yeah, how share of you. I'm Madonna. <laughs> Fiona. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I highly encourage everyone to go over and listen because you are the best storyteller oh, that 100%. I know. And, and are you doing any shows in the comedy festival or...? Yeah, I've got two shows. Oh. One is Ron and Brenda. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, at, and then the other one's just a new show of mine. But it's probably the last one for a long time because okay. I'm really hoping that I can just be the new internet Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're writing a book. Yeah. I've written one memoir, but it's so funny. I left it just before I left Alice Springs and moved to, and so much has happened. Yeah. Oh my god! So yeah. I've just got to catalogue seven years of disaster, and then I'll be fine. You're sober, so you're super productive. Yeah, now. you're productive. <laughs> I and know. If, how much more time? I do you know have? Yeah. that was the major thing it's for me. Crazy. I feel like I've got an extra day. In I've got week. two, two or three extra days. You know, because oh, half the time is spent waiting to drink or thinking, is it too early to start drinking? And then you know, the day would be spent drunk, <laughs> and then the next day would be spent hungover. So I've got a lot of time now. But good yeah, time too. <laughs> yeah, good. good, like quality time. Yeah. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put some links to your shows in the uh, show notes as well so um, for the festival so people should – because honestly your stand-up was amazing. It was such a good show. Thank you so much, girls. Yeah, it was really great. And you look, by the way, you look amazing. Yeah, you're fucking hot, by the way. You're killing it. Face full of Yeah, Because, yeah, yeah, you looked really hot on on stage. Thank you. But I think one of the lights had malfunctioned so I think you were actually quite hot because uh, it was like blinding some of the (laughs) guests. Yeah, knocked over. We couldn't see for a little bit. But, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're, you carry yourself with like a new level of confidence on your Instagram. I love it. Yeah, loving it. Oh, oh thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, keep All your tits right, you in your top, and yeah. um, we'll hopefully see you when you come to Melbourne. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. see you. See you, darlings. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This podcast was entirely created by me, Annie Nolan, and my best friend, Bianca Thompson. The music was by Pleasant Pictures Music. We really want to thank Fiona for coming to chat with us for this bonus episode. She has been a real source of inspiration for us both, and we are so grateful to have been able to have her on. You can find Fiona at fionao.com.au or on Instagram, she is at 
the Fiona O'Loughlin and Facebook it's just Fiona O'Loughlin. Now that concludes our mini series on alcohol. As always though, please feel free to come over to our Facebook community group to chat about anything to do with the mini series. You can find us at WW2BB Community Group on Facebook and the two in that is the number two. Thanks so much to everyone that has reached out and supported this mini-series. We certainly have detoured from our normal programming, so we really appreciate how supportive you have all been. We really do love you dearly. We are trying to brainstorm some more episodes to come your way really soon as we know that most of our listeners are in lockdown due to COVID-19. So we will be back really soon, we promise. In the meantime, though, we really hope you're all administering lots of self-care. And that's not just washing your hands, but also really keeping connected to others and prioritising good mental health and realising that unusual circumstances call for some unusual ways of looking after ourselves. What I'm trying to say is essentially just look after yourself because you're a really important person and we love having you in our community. Take care.